Where we find ourselves right now is um, Paul has been under arrest for a few years now, although it's been a little bit of a lenient arrest. But right towards the end, they were about to basically hand him over to the Jews. He appeals to Caesar, which is basically like us appealing to the Supreme Court. So it was a total like legally binding thing. He's going to Rome to stand in front of and be judged by Caesar. So they left from Jerusalem. And they, where we left off is they were somewhere around Crete and they got hit by a major storm and a nor'easter wind came and their ship just got bashed and banged up and they are in a bad spot. Their ship is, is majorly damaged. They're taking on water. The ship is literally sinking. So they're just basically throwing everything off of the boat so that they can sink slower and they're trying to get somewhere. They're trying to get somewhere. So they don't know where they are. They're somewhere in this region when we left off. We're in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to back up a little bit from where we left off last week, so we can pick it up in verse 21. This is right when it's it's getting bad, it's getting real bad, and Paul stands up. So that's where we find ourselves. Acts 27, 21 says, but after long abstinence from food, okay, so they are starting to ration the food. They're starting to, all right, let's just not eat. Let's see how long we can go to make this food last longer because we don't know how long we're going to be out here. Long abstinence from food. Uh, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, man, you should have listened to me. If you remember, this is his, I told you so. And he goes on to say, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come. So we left off in verse 26. And the reason that we stopped there last week is I kind of wanted you guys to feel that time has passed. And it's been a week since I taught last. Uh, imagine two weeks, not just one week, but two weeks and not going here, going to work and living life and next thing you know a week has passed but just sitting on a sinking ship for two weeks contemplating that the only thing between death and you is one man's vision of an angel and that's you're just sitting there sinking and not knowing what's going on you you haven't eaten it's it's been a long time wet all the way through wet rainy the really long sinks <laughs> yeah, well, they, they binded it, right? They they wrapped chains or ropes on the underside. They're trying to hold it together. They're probably dismantling certain parts of the ship to patch holes. I uh, This isn't in my notes, but it just made me think of it. I worked for a company once who was not doing well. They had a lot of problems, and the owners started talking about, like, this next thing that they should start. Like, well, maybe if we start this other business, then that'll make money. And then that'll help this company. And I, my advice to them was, if you're in a sinking ship, you don't start building another one. 
you, you find the holes and you start plugging them. And it offended the owner. He's like, you think you're in a sinking ship? And it's like, look around, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that didn't end well. I got fired shortly after that. Um, but the point is, you find the holes, you dismantle parts of the ship, you put that wood and start patching holes, right? You, you, you try and survive as long as possible. So yes, it is a slow sink, but they are still Survivor. taking on water. And so they are just sitting there contemplating, like, they don't know if they're going to make it. They're kind of like, dude, this guy stands up. He hasn't eaten for a long time. Either is it a hallucination? Are we believing this guy that he saw an angel? What's going on? Like, they, they don't know what's going on. Everybody's hangry and and upset tensions are starting to to rise they're trying to figure it out and so that's where we find ourselves so it's been two weeks now when the 14th night had come as we were driven up and down the adriatic so this line is kind of like yeah it's like this kind of straight line it was probably more like very squiggly all over they didn't know where they were they were just literally just being tossed by every wind and wave and and they didn't know what's going on so uh up and down the adriatic sea about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land this isn't like a premonition of the holy spirit they had some sort of tools they were dragging something maybe a wave it was the middle of the night so probably not birds but it could have been maybe a bird flying over but there's they use different ways to figure out like oh hey land is near that's that's good so they sensed that they were near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. A sounding, the, the word is, when they translated the Bible, that's just the word that made sense in their time, soundings. And it makes sense in our time still. We have, now we have like radar where we send down radar and we can f- see how deep the water is. What the word in Greek literally means is uh, to heave the lead. So they had a big lead uh, tool tied to a rope and they'd throw it down and once they felt it hit the bottom, they'd pull it up and then measure where the, or they probably had the rope marked, but they could see, boom, once it hits, all right, we're 15 fathoms. So that's how they would figure out how close to land they were. So on that point, if you remember our sort of metaphor for the ship, right, being caught in the storm in your life and how to how to deal with some of those storms. In this situation, if we, we continue with that metaphor, right, sometimes we need to take the temperature of a situation, right? Somebody might be like, hey, I've been through this before, and it seems like you're, you're on the, t- the tail end of this thing, right? And we need to ask follow-up questions. And, okay, well, how do you mean? How long? And, and we need to take the temperature of the situation, not just react. Like, hey, there's land! Let's, like, rah! You know, and, and we need to actually, like, okay, figure out where we are, make a plan, and then, like, figure out and how to navigate our way through this, like, maybe it is on the tail end of that trial or maybe whatever the situation maybe the trial is just coming on but we it's it's good to ask those follow-up questions i think too often we try not to think about our issues or we try not to think about our trials right and we you know just push it out of our head or we self-medicate to to help us not think of things we drink too much or we you know take too many antidepressants or whatever the, the thing is 
to just numb us and really make it so we don't have to think about our trial. But it is good and wise to take the temperature, ask follow-up questions. Okay, why am I feeling this? Why, you know, where am I in this? Be honest with yourself of where you are in that trial. Because if you just shove it aside, you're going to deal with it eventually, and it's probably going to, you're going to deal with it worse. Um, like, that's why so many people wind up seeing counselors and things because they try not to think about things until it bubbles up and then it's like, I can't even handle this. I need to talk to somebody and get it off my chest. So it's good to be honest, take the temperature of a situation and not just not just react and not also just push the, the reality of the thing away. So if we continue with our story, they're, they're taking the measurement of where they're at in the sea. Verse 29 says then, Fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Remember, it's midnight when they somehow figured out that they were near land and they measured how deep it was. So they're just like, pump the brakes. We need to stop because we will hit the ground, right? That's their plan on how to navigate this thing. Okay, we took the temperature of the situation. We got to stop moving because we can't even see where we're going. We're just going to be tossed. So let's drop the anchors, and then we'll figure out in the morning how to proceed. So that's where they find themselves. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape... Okay, uh, this is in my notes, but it's going to be easier to, to sort of break this down, the language of this trip. Uh, we have the we. This is Luke, Paul, and Aristicus. Uh, they're traveling together. They probably had a few more people traveling with them. Then we have the uh, the prisoners. That's all of the other people who appealed to Caesar or were going to Rome to be judged. Uh, then we have the sailors, which is included in that the owner of the ship and also the helmsman that we met earlier in this story. Then we have the soldiers and the centurions. So there's these different blocks of people that are going to be talked about that when you just blow through it and read it, it's really easy to just be like, oh yeah, they're all just making these decisions and it's all good. But there's actually a lot of tension between these groups of people that's happening that you miss if you go too fast. So the sailors, right, the people who run the ship know how to sail, the people who have been basically navigating them through this nasty storm since they took off, the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. So they're like, oh, why, why are you letting the skiff down? They're like, oh, we got to attach an anchor to the front of the ship. So don't worry about it. That's good. But really, they were like, we're out of here. We're, we are going to just head towards land uh, and leave these guys to, to fend for themselves, right? So under the pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, which is the front part of the hole. You guys didn't know you were going to get some boat <laughs> terms here, but hey, that's what's happening. <laughs> Yeah. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. So you see that tension where the sailors are trying to do this thing. Paul goes to the soldiers. And again, when you just read through it, it seems like, oh, he's warning them. And then they like eventually listen. Then we just move on. No, there's tension here. There's if they go, I can't guarantee that we're going to that we're going to live. Um, and tonight's... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You think that that's, for, like, he says that because of the revelation he had or just because he's like, these guys, you can't split up? <laughs> yeah, I think it, that it's both, right? Yeah. And tonight's sermon is called Stay on the Ship. 
Okay. Uh, stay on the ship. And here's our, our ver- working verse, right? It says it right there. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And you might be like, well, hang on a second. Like, God just said that they would all be saved. Like, is Paul adding a condition here? Well, well, that God told Israelites certain promises that he would give them, but then it would be like, oh, but actually, if you sin and, like, fall away from me, then it's actually going to be death and misery. <laughs> yeah. And God includes that condition, right? Yeah. He does the same thing here. It's just a little bit smaller. So when Paul is telling them his revelation, verse 26, he says, However, we must run aground on a certain island. That's that's part of the revelation. He sees that they are going to run aground. And he's like, that was not included in what I was shown. This is not how I saw things playing out. I can't guarantee our safety if they leave. I don't like. That's They're how that not works. They're trying to run aground. They're trying to. They're trying to say we don't care about them. We're out of here. And Paul is saying everybody is going to survive if we run aground on a certain island. But that's not everybody. Now we're splitting up, and I can't guarantee what's going to happen. Right? We must run aground on a certain island. There's a specific island that we're that we're heading for, and we must run aground on it. Now they might say. Well, I thought you said we'd all be saved. Like, your vision, the angel said that we'd all be saved. So, isn't that what God said? He did say that. But this, staying together, staying on the ship, is part of that. There is a condition uh, included there. And I don't want to get too far off topic from our story, but I think this needs to be said and you need to hear me in this. Stay on the ship. Endurance is a condition of our salvation. And I've said this many times, and I'm going to say it a lot more because the Bible says it a lot. You must endure till the end to be saved. That is a condition that's included in Scripture. Um, I, I told you guys I've been working on this spreadsheet. I'm actually still working on it. I thought it would come together a little faster. But there is a warning of either false prophets or a warning to continue to, to you know, run the good race, fight the good fight, though that kind of language, right? A warning to continue or a warning against false prophets in every single New Testament book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And while I'm compiling all those, because people are like, oh man, I want to see that. I'd like to be able to like give that research so they can actually do the reading themselves. While I'm compiling it, it's like, man, it's so overwhelming how many of the warnings to continue to the end that it's like, it's taking a really long time. Mm-hmm. It's just over and over and over. Endurance is a condition to our salvation, and we can't miss that. We can't just, even though it's like, ah, like, uh, God said we're going to be saved. Yes, but we can't miss the endurance. We can't just leave that out and start, you know, jumping in the skiff and bailing and doing whatever we want. we got to stay on the ship. Let's keep our finger here. We are going to detour here. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 3. And I can't um, completely unpack this chapter or the, the 
four to five chapters surrounding this tonight, although I would love to. I don't want it to look like I'm cherry-picking verses. I really, really encourage you to really unpack and dig into these chapters because it is it is just potent of, of what Paul is saying. But I'm, I am going to just grab a few to, to catch the, the vibe of what he's saying. But again, <coughs> please research this to, to see more of what the writer here is saying. Hebrews 3, verse 12 says, Beware, brethren, okay, brethren, speaking to Hebrews, but also Christians. We're speaking to Christians here. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today. Right? If you have an exhortation that God has given you to give, or if you think that you should say something to somebody, don't wait till tomorrow. While it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If you do put off till tomorrow that encouragement that you think you need to say to somebody, that person could fall away through the deceitfulness of sin. So don't wait. For we have become partakers in Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We're going to turn the page here to Hebrews chapter 6. Again, he's kind of just building this whole time and he's continuing that here in Hebrews 6 verse 1 says therefore leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ let us go on to perfection that is maturity let us go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance right we need that foundation it needs to be strong but let's not like keep talking about the foundation and not talk about just the foundational things. Let's let's move past that. Let's. He just finished saying you're you're acting like babies. You're drinking milk. You need to start eating solid food now. Let's move past the milk and let's really dig into this thing. The, the, those things are obviously important. It is foundational. You can't remove the foundation, but let's like keep building, right? The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, right? Those are all the elementary things. Those are all the the foundational things. Let's move past that. And this we will do if God permits. Okay. And he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened to have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a partaker of the Holy Spirit unless you are a Christian. He's specifically speaking of Christians. If you have been a partaker of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. It's heavy, and it's very clear, and people try and talk their ways out of it, and they say it's reductive reasoning, but it's not. It's very clearly, if you look at it, he's saying, this is you guys. Or he, say, he says, it's, he actually says it's not you guys. Verse 9, he says, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. He's saying, you're headed this direction. We're confident that that's not you, but don't go any farther, right? Stay on the ship. <laughs> like, let's let's get... Forget the skiff. Let's stay solid here, right? And then that's not the moving on from elementary 
things, right? He's saying, if God permits us to move on, because you guys are, are kind of acting like babies and hopefully God's going to permit you to learn past that, and here's why. Because if you have gone too far, it's impossible for you to go past anything because you've, you've already gone far, you've already left the boat, okay? And then he moves on past and starts to build on things there. But my point is that he, he's not saying this to cause fear, right? But he's saying it to encourage endurance, Again, he encourages them right after saying, now, I, I'm not saying this is you. We think and hope much better things for you. But he's putting that warning in there so that they know that they are veering off and that they need to be careful and stay uh, onto what he's teaching and, and stay onto the foundation and build on that. He needs to, to put that warning in there, again, to kind of say, pump the brakes, stay on the, stay on the ship. By the way, just so we can unpack this a little bit more, to put Christ to an open shame is to denounce him, okay? To completely lose faith. Some people read this and they do have fear, like, oh man, like if I sin, can I lose my, 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 my faith? Can I lose my salvation? It's not, it, actions are typically tied to and, and a, a sign of where you're at, but we are granted access into God's grace through faith, right? Romans 5 says that. Through faith, we, we are granted access into the grace of God. Okay, so it's the complete abandoning of that faith is how we can jump off the ship, how we can leave the faith, okay? So that's what we need to be careful not to veer off and start following some false doctrine. We need to make sure that we stay focused and we, we stay on that ship to continue in the, the obedience to God until the very end, right? Um, but how do we, as he said in this, in chapter three, how do we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end? How can we like be sure? How can we be confident? At the end of chapter six here, in verses 18 and 19, he says that our hope is an anchor of the soul. Kind of ties into our Acts story here a little bit that our hope is the anchor of the soul. And he says that because God doesn't lie. And because God doesn't lie, we can have hope in him, and that hope is the anchor of our soul. It is immovable. That, that anchor locks onto a rock, and no matter what waves come, no matter what winds come, we are hold fast. We are, we are not moving. We are stuck on to the rock, and we are not going to be moved because we know that God doesn't lie, that every word that he speaks comes to fulfillment. We can have full confidence and we can hold on to that confidence because God continually proves that what he says is so and that it will be fulfilled exactly how he says it over and over and over again. He tells his prophet something. The prophet predicts the future and it comes to pass exactly how he laid out. God has proven this over and over, and he's done it in our lives. He's shown up, and he's told us things, and then they come to pass. And we're like, well, that's not how I expected it, but, man, it is exactly how you said it would happen. And, and that's exactly what Paul says, if we get back to Acts here. That's what he is saying here in Acts, that God doesn't lie, right? He said, I believe God that it will happen just as it was told me. I believe God because he said it, and what he says does not change, and it's always fulfilled. He said that we would run aground. And he said that we would all be saved. These things are together. 
these things are part of the same revelation. We haven't run aground yet. We aren't all safe yet. So stay in the ship. That's where Paul is at. Verse 31. Acts 27, 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. Some of you guys might need to hear this. You need to cut loose your backup plan. Has God spoken to you? Has he given you a direct thing. God does not lie. So what are you holding on to that you need to cut loose? Is it a, a sin? Is it a, again, is it a backup plan? Like, well, God told me to do this, but I'm going to hold on to this so that I, I can like have a backup plan in, in case God's word doesn't become true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Everything God says is fulfilled. Cut loose the backup plan and stay in the ship. I, I don't know what's going on with you, but there might be something in your life that you do need to cut loose. A backup plan or a friend or a sin or bitterness or whatever the thing is holding you back that you just need to literally like cut the ropes and let it go into the sea and just stay on the ship of faith and just continue on with God and don't let that thing hold you back. Why do we keep climbing into the skiff when God has already told us that he's in control and, and guiding the ship of where we're going? Yeah, I agree, Fab. Um, cut the skiff off, whatever it is, throw it overboard, and don't think about it again. Imagine this, though. Again, a quick read-through, you miss some of the emotion, you miss some of the tension. This would have made the sailors very angry. Yeah. Their escape plan they is... They were called out. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not just called out, but their escape plan is cut. And it's like, hey, if you remember from the story last week, they worked really hard to like secure that skiff again, right? They were using it as a sea anchor to help them guide through that storm. And they're like, we worked really hard to get that on the ship, and that's our escape pod, and you just cut it loose. You know, there's there's tension here, like... There's a lot going on, there's a lot of emotions, and you can miss all that. It's still kind of, you know, raining, and the boat is rocking, and everybody's mad. No one's freaking eating for two weeks. It's getting really hairy here. And again, a quick read-through, you miss some of that, but you got to consider it. Verse 33, And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is our fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eat nothing. Imagine that too, right? You're like, you're about to leave. Paul says, not a good idea. You go, you get caught in this storm. You're like, everything goes wrong. The ship is about to fall apart. Everyone thinks that they're going to die. They start rationing food. They haven't eaten for two weeks. Now every, all the tensions are high. They know they're close to land, but they're like, it's the middle of the night. Everyone's starting to freak out. Chaos is about to happen. And Paul's like, hey, uh, we should eat some breakfast. Like, we should just eat some breakfast right now. And, and I'll try and calm down here. Verse 34 says, therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is... For your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. He's again ensuring them that they're all going to live. And when 
he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. A couple of things here. Paul leads by example. We need to we need to lead by example as well. Maybe they were saying, no, we need to keep the food. We need to keep rationing the food. Even if we get to land, we don't know exactly what's going to be there. We might have to keep, you know, making food there. They, <laughs> tensions also, maybe they wanted to fight rather than eat. You know, it's just like, hey, you know, this is not the time for eating. And uh, this isn't in my notes, but... A guy gave me a piece of advice when Annie and I were engaged. I didn't ask for the advice, but it came and it was interesting. Uh, he said, the one thing I'll say is never let your wife get hungry. <laughs> that was the weirdest piece of advice. Says. I was like, what is, like, what? I've never even heard that. Like, and what, what are you talking about? Now I know. Because the amount of, <laughs> amount of fights that Annie and I have had, not just Annie, like, w- when you get hangry, sometimes you'd rather fight than eat. And, and then talking about eating just makes you want to fight more and it's just like sometimes it's a tough situation right and so paul's like hey tensions are high we also we need strength for what's about to happen let's like let's eat some food let's take our our strength and we can move into this in in, in a good way he leads by example he doesn't let that all of the the emotions and all of the craziness weigh him down he's like hey we should eat and then he just starts eating and he sits down and he Starts eating and they're all kind of like, man, like eating does sound good. And then they all they all start eating as well. Also, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, holy cow, he's just he's gonna eat it all, right? Be confident in what God's. <laughs> also, Paul was not afraid to pray for the food in front of non-believers. I had this friend once who made a New Year's resolution that he was going to pray before each meal, which is like maybe a lot of you are like, yeah, obviously pray for each meal. But he specifically was like, I'm going to pray out loud with anyone who I'm eating with. And his his other resolution is I just want to like go out for meals with more people. So whether they were saved, whether they were, you know, family, really good friends who weren't saved, no matter who it was, even if you just met them, he, he was, he owned his own business. He would have meetings with people that de- hardly knew him. And if they went out for a meal, that was his thing that year. I, I, hopefully he's still doing it. I'm not sure, but he would just be like, Hey, do you mind if I bless the food? And it was like, ah, sure. Normally like, nobody had a problem with it, but he would just pray out loud for the food in front of him. And it was just a way that he was like, you know what? This is going to be something. It was just something that God had put on his heart an easy thing to do that sometimes we don't do, right, in those situations, like, ah, everyone's the talking, gonna the waiter's going to come, let's just, like, silently, like, no, oh, thanks, God, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's okay to, like, hey, let's pump the brakes and, like, thank the Lord for this food, like, it's okay to pray in front of non-believers, or it's definitely encouraged to, like, pause and praise God for even the simplest thing, maybe we're not, like, starving for two weeks, but... Yeah, thank God for the food and for the blessings that he's given us that day. Um, so he starts eating, and they uh, they follow here. Verse 36. Then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. And this is probably not a big ship. It's probably very, very crowded. It's a lot of people. And they all have breakfast together. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship 
and threw out the weed into the sea. No more food. Just imagine eating handfuls of wheat kernels. Just <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they cooked Probably it. Probably not when they <laughs> When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. They're finally catching on here, taking the plan. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. No more anchors. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes. No more rudder. The ship is like literally coming apart. It is just falling apart and they're like, this is it, man. This is like full on trust in just get to that land. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas meet, this is a reef, uh, specifically it's called the Kawara Reef, that's where they hit, they ran the ship aground. So they hit the reef, and the, the, it says the prow stuck fast. The ship gets stuck, so the, the prow again is the front part of the hull. It stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violent waves. So the ship gets stuck, and now it's literally the ship is just coming apart because the violent waves keep hitting the ship, and everything that they've been trying to work to keep together is just completely coming apart. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, Paul's kept the peace. He's given this word of encouragement that they were all going to be saved. Centurion's like, I'm going to save this guy. All right, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So they were at this point literally either grabbing parts of the ship or probably dismantling parts of the ship also. Like this one's going to float well, here's a barrel, whatever it is. They were grabbing stuff and jumping overboard if they can't swim, holding on to something and kicking for shore. And like any metaphor, right, if you follow it too literally too long, it eventually falls apart. And here we have that literally in our story, our ship of the metaphor kind of falls apart here. But stay on the ship to, to just end that metaphor, right? Stay on the ship of faith until it brings you to God's fulfilled promise. Whether that's like for life, right? He's promised us glory. We stay on the ship of faith until we see that glory. Or maybe it's a promise in your life. You will see this person. Paul, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to see Caesar. Okay, that's a promise I can hold on to. I know I'm going to live at least till then. I know I'm going to be safe at least till then, right? Whatever it is, stay on that ship until God's promise is fulfilled. Let's continue in verse 28. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the coal. So here's the certain island that God had told Paul that they were going to uh, run around on. Verse 3, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw that the creature hanging from his hand, 
they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he, this is Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. This is an amazing miracle that God did, and he did it for a specific reason, right? And there have been some throughout history who have corrupted this tiny little verse, and they brought it into their church and uh, said, like, if you have enough faith, then a viper can't hurt you. And, you know, they bring in these baskets of venomous snakes, vipers, and the such. And they they kill everyone in the church? Stick their arms. Oh, yeah, is people, that why they do that? Yeah, this is this is why this is where that comes from. People, many people have died from it. Another verse too that talks about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I saw a documentary about that church. And if people die, it's like, well, they didn't have enough faith. You know? oh, <laughs> Should have had more faith. But uh, two things on that point. One, this freaking hurt. It says no harm came to him. It means he didn't swell up, he didn't die, but a snake biting you, like, you know it freaking hurt. <laughs> Two, Paul didn't know this was going to happen, right? He didn't, like, bring a basket in and stick his arm in, like, check this out, y'all. That's not how that went down. He didn't even know. He didn't see it coming. He didn't know it was going to happen, but God's going to use this thing in a really cool way as we continue verse 6. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, because that's what happens when a viper bites you. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. Oh, he must be a god. Instead of being a murderer and the justice is coming, well, actually, maybe he's a god. That was a quick shift that they, they really quickly like turned around there. Like The Bible talks about being you know, blown by every wind and tossed by every wave. When you don't know what you believe, you don't know truth, that's how it goes down. It's just like, well, this must happen. Oh, nope, no, now this must happen. And we see that in Christians oh, like sometimes. Time. What's yeah, that? Ravi Zacharias video that you showed us. That yeah. story that he told of the, when he was like, oh, good luck because this happened. Oh, that's exactly. Happened. Exactly. And we see that in the world, but we also do see that in Christians of like, Oh, this is a good omen. Well, the Bible tells us not to, to look at omens and be led by that. That's not, oh, oh, this is what God's doing. Oh, now this was what God's doing. No, God is like very direct. He's always on point. He's not wavering. He's not like kind of, oh, this. It's, he's very focused. And when he gives direction, it's always very focused. So we need to remember that about God and, and not be like these guys of like, oh, me, this must be what God is doing. Oh, no, now this is what God is doing. He must be a, a murderer. Oh, no, he's a god. Verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen and the, of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. <laughs> they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Paul could see that God brought them to that island for a reason. He knew he was going to be brought to a, right, a certain island. He's now there. He sees God moving, and he sees God starts to work, so he in faith, 
continues in the way that God is setting up for him. Okay, well, this is what we're doing. And it's amazing how these miracles just happen around Paul, specifically to bring people to hear the gospel. And we see, we've said that throughout this whole series, uh, that miracles happen to bring people into the kingdom of God. And that's what we see here. God is moving through Paul, and you know Paul isn't just healing him and be like, all right, cool, see ya. Like, there's obviously an interpreter. Luke tells us that they said he was a god, right? So they know what they're saying. There's some way to interpret and talk to these people. Maybe they did speak Greek, whatever it was. They were able to communicate to them the gospel because of these miracles and uh, Paul is healing basically this whole island of all the disease. Finishing out this portion here tonight, verse 11 says, And after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island, right? This, these people were a little smarter than the, the helmsmen of Paul's. They, they actually wintered in an island and didn't tr- just try to trudge forward and apparently also there's enough space on this ship for 276 people (laughs) i don't know if they had just dropped a load somewhere but somehow this ship was in good shape and they were able to fit everybody on there they all pile on verse 12 and landing at syracuse we stayed three days and there we circled around and reached uh regium and after one day the south wind blew and the next day we came to (laughs) putuli where we found brethren, and we were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and Three Inns, which you can see on this map. You can kind of see once they left Malta, they kind of went pretty quick, right? Because they wintered there. They were there for three months. And then after that, the weather was good, so they just sailed up there. Now they're way up there at three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Imagine the relief at this point. They're done with the boat. They're on solid ground. They're finally like, like we are finally here. We can take courage. We can be comforted by our friends. They're having fellowship, which is the sweetest thing this side of heaven. And uh, verse 16 says, Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners, right? Everybody made it. The centurion passes the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. This is amazing. Again, we see God's protection and there being a little bit of leniency with Paul because, again, we don't know how many people on that ship were saved. We don't know how many people on Malta were saved, but... Paul was preaching the gospel and his ministry of obeying God and and praying and just being basically the spiritual guide for all of these guys made a huge impact. And apparently Paul made a friend here and the guy's like, no, 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 I'll vouch for this guy. He can even stay in my house. So that's where Paul goes initially when they get to Rome. But they finally made it. God's word is fulfilled. All the men on that ship were saved because one man was not afraid to say something a little weird, which, hey, I was visited by an angel. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, that's a little weird. And then he's like, no, stay on the ship because the angel said. And they're like, all right, that's like, you know, again, he wasn't afraid to say that weird thing, but that was part of God's word, right? Stay on the ship. 
and they saw it fulfilled and they all safely made it to where they were going. And uh, I want to take from this when God gives us a word, whether it's to a specific person or for a specific purpose, let's be adamant about saying exactly what God said and how he said it and not add our own fluff or spin and be like, oh, God said this and I think it means this because then people get confused. Like, well, is that part of what God said? Paul just basically said, here's what God said. And then when they started to veer from it, he, nah, 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 God said this though. Like, let's stay focused on what God said. When we start adding our own stuff, people don't know, especially if we add it right next to each other. Let's be specific about, this is what God said. Um, maybe that means this, right? This is my thing. Let, let's not like just push that into what God actually said. Let's be adamant about saying what God said and how he said to say it. And encourage those who the message is for. Encourage them to stay on point. Encourage them to obey that word that God gave them to do. Obey all of it, right? If they start to veer a little bit. Yeah, but God specifically said, stay on the ship. Like... Because we have to run aground. Like, you're, you're veering off from that. Let's, let's stay specifically with whatever that specific phrase or whatever that God gives you to say. Um, maybe it's just a biblical word. You read something, you're like, ah, oh, we're veering from that. We need, to, we need to stay on the ship. We need to refocus on the word of God. Um, that's all for tonight. Next week, we're going to continue with Paul as he continues to fulfill the word of God. Because... Most of it has been fulfilled at this point, but he's still been commissioned by God to stand before Caesar, who at this time was Nero. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word and to focus on endurance. God, I pray that you will help us to endure whatever things come our way and also to encourage others to, to endure. Maybe it's not us who's going through something, but maybe you can give us a word to uh, encourage somebody to stay on course, stay on your ship, um, keep the faith, and uh, continue in obedience and endurance until the end, God. Uh, I pray that you will be with us this week as we continue with our story. Thank you for this series, and pray that you will be with us as we finish it up. Pray that you bless the rest of this evening, and in Jesus' name, amen.